I just want to warn you guys, be prepared for next week because if the kids come with questions, I can also turn it to you. Because what I want the kids to do is to learn that there's an intergenerational thing, a relationship where they, they need to hear from adults besides mom and dad and teachers. They need to see Christians as a community. We all are a learning community, which is what we're doing here uh, this morning as we get into Ephesians. <clears throat> uh, this, is a, this is a terrible, terrible sermon title. I wrestle with titles, but I'm going to probably change it. But even so, it gives you the question mark. If you read this, you go, huh? Which is what I wanted to do. Greed the allowable sin. And this is a, this is a concept that if you read the passage of Ephesians, you would easily skip right past this because it's a one word tucked into the middle of a, of a whole series of things that Paul is trying to address in the Ephesians' lives. And so as we begin this, um, I want to go back to put it in the context. there In Ephesians 1, again, this is the umbrella theme of Ephesians. Remember, chapter 1 is about the integration of heaven and earth. Chapter 2 is the inclusion or the incorporation of us in Christ. Chapter 3 is the fact that we have an institution of the church where the Spirit of God is poured into His people. And chapter 4 is that those people need to learn to be instructed into the ways of Christ and walk in the Spirit. And as they do so, they move to chapter 5 where there is a, an imitation. And so this theme moves into chapter 6, which was an involvement with a spiritual warfare. So in the middle of this imitation, we looked at last week the, the fact that Paul is doing something to help Christians grow that is not typically an American way of thinking about how Christians grow. And so most Christians, uh, when they get to church, they hear about salvation. They hear about uh, after their uh, uh, salvation, how their faith in Christ gives them eternal life, and that's a gift of God. It's, it, God works that in the human heart by regenerating the person. Salvation happens. Relationship is re restored. Reconciliation takes place. But then the experience of what happened on that cross, what that really means. Well, as you move into discipleship and following up, many American Christians will, will be told, get in the Bible, start praying, avoid temptation, and you need to be in fellowship, and you need to be involved in serving. And so what we tend to think about following up Christians isn't what Paul was thinking about for these guys. And so he says last week that if you're going to imitate Christ, the first area to understand what the love of Christ is, that sacrificial love that you are to imitate he jumps right in to the heart of the issue and says, it's your sexuality. And no sexual immorality or impurity, greed, shall be even named among you. And so right off the bat, uh, Paul gets right into the realities of these Ephesians' lives. And we're going to do that too. But the idea that he's getting into things that are relevant and meaningful to the heart of the Christian because 
if you don't understand the gospel is relevant to every human being you will meet. And many people today don't think the church or the Bible or the gospel is relevant because they say it's just a ticket to go to heaven. So I accept Jesus at Camp Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm ready to go to heaven. Well, there's so much more to this. So today, as we get into this, what Paul is calling us to do is to be imitators as beloved children. As means this is, this is indicative of who we are, and therefore it's about our identity. And so as we walk in love, and that's the general theme that you've got to keep in mind as you hear this. And as we go through this, you see that Christ is our example, not just as a standard or as a moral philosophy or this is the way we do. It's like this is life in heaven. And heaven's uh, son came to teach us how to live life as it is in heaven. So imagine if you were to die tonight and go spend a hundred years in heaven. And God says, come back and live that way on earth. This would be how you would live. And so that's what Paul is trying to teach the Ephesians. And so there are some core ideas that I think that we assume that we know. And so I'm going to go a little deeper into this in this particular uh, sermon with a couple of concepts. And before I get into the idea of greed as an allowable sin, let me, let me preface this with something. And this is something we're trying to do as I'm teaching how to read the Bible as we're doing on Wednesday nights, how to really understand the Bible so that there's meaning to it. I, I, I want to share with you a, a, a book that I've I kept on my shelf for a long time. This is the book by Gene Aitchison. And as a linguist, as an applied linguist, as one who studies languages, and you know, I've I've come to the point to understand that there's there's a way that we use words. And this book, Words in the Mind, this is where these ideas come from. It really will help be helpful for us. But Gene Aitchison says that our entire experience, our entire understanding, uh, we, are, we are people who are locked into language systems. And so if you listen to how people talk and the words that they use to explain, to represent, and to connect, and to communicate, all these things come into play with the kind of words that reveal your understanding of who God is and what God is doing. So let me, let me give you a little, just bear with me as I teach it a little bit. And so being in Japan uh, has taught me what it means to be stupid. If I don't know something, <laughs> I know what it means not to know. But I know what it means to assume that we know. So let me give you this, this little test. If I say the word bird word, bird, uh, something triggers in your mind. And so by association, if I were to ask you, what is the, the most referred, uh, the, the most commonly referred to bird in America by Americans? Eagle? Not the eagle. It's not the eagle. Not the cardinal. Not the crow. Robin. Yeah. The robin is more people, when you say bird, they immediately think of the robin, about 60, 65%, depending on the study. But they think of robin. And so that 
issue, that image of Robin, when you say Robin, you, you've got some ideas of what a Robin is, of course, because it's very familiar. But notice, what you may not notice, is that the Robin is a small bird. And to be in this category of bird, you have this idea that, well, there's got to be feathers, there's got to be feet, there's a beak, and lays eggs and stuff. And so, But when you think of the word bird, do you think of these two? Is a penguin a bird? Birds fly, right? Birds, well, the, is, or, or the ostrich? The ostrich has feathers and two feet and a beak. Is, is that, are those birds? Yeah. So what you've got here is, is that the core, at the core, there's a central image or characteristics, what we would think, that this is the definition of a bird. And then you've got this marginal, these are different kind of birds. So when you use the word bird, uh, there's many images. So you can't just use the word bird. You've got to go more specific. So let's go more specific. When you think of small bird, like a dove, or you think of a parrot or a cardinal, now you've got the sparrow. These small birds are in, still in the central part, but you've got bigger birds like the owl and the, the uh, peacock, which is next door neighbor. It's got, I don't know how they're doing this winter, but they've got five peacocks next door. But you've got pheasants, and then you've got this thing called the dodo bird. But it's still in the category. These are all birds. But the core, the core idea is what I want you to focus on. Now, these core concepts that you've got in your brain already, you're going to have a little confusion when I throw up the next issue. It's a small animal with wings and two feet, right? Is a bat, is a, bat a bird? Well, wait a minute. It's small. It's got wings, two feet, flies. And therefore, what's the difference? And here's the di there is a distinction because you now have concepts that are nearby, but look, could be, over, but these aren't, these are different. So a bat is not a bird, and that's the idea behind this teaching, is that there are core concepts that are in a category unique to itself, and therefore, if I were to use the word Christian, what image comes to mind? If I were to use the word Baptist, what comes to mind? If I were to use the word any denominational word, you're going to have different images. And they would all be in a category of these are saved people, right? Because what defines a Christian is one who follows Christ. And therefore, to imitate Christ, there are certain distinctives that should be reflective in our relationships as we get into the Bible. Well, this idea of core definitions, core distinctives, core values, I want to talk a little bit about because where you live and your culture will shape how you think and shape how you speak. If you are in Hawaii, this means something. If you are in New York, uh, New York being radically different than, than Hawaii, or if you're in Iowa or Ohio in an agricultural area, how you think about the world is really radically different than somebody else who's in another part of the world. And therefore, the Japanese proverb says, a frog in the well 
doesn't know the ocean. So if you're locked into your world, if you're locked into your language, you're going to communicate to those people who are just like you because birds of a... <laughs> yeah, okay, you got it. So there are some distinctives. Now, what you need to know, and this ties into why I say greed is allowable. This is why this is a long way around this. What you need to know is every culture, every group, every nation will have a unique distinctive feature that's called cultural. But these core values, these core distinctives, like if you go to China and you see the way the Chinese live their life, and the things that they do and how they speak, those relationships in China are based on one major, major, major core value. Now you could put a lot of cores in there, but the thing about China is when, they, when you talk to the Chinese, they're going to have different images and different ideas about what a bird is. And therefore, if you go to China, you see these birds. We never have seen these birds. And these are special, they're endemic to China. You have never seen them. They're beautiful. You may have heard about the, the Mandarin duck on the right. But they're beautiful birds. And so when you think about different birds and different countries and different languages and different concepts, when you step out of your world and into another's world, into the world of an unbeliever, into the world of a, an atheist, into the world of somebody else. They're thinking differently than you are. But at the core of the Chinese, there's one value among all values, and that is the issue of stability and control. Because China is so big, they cannot allow for any disruption. And therefore, any kind of resistance against the system will cause instability. And therefore, for China, the core value is we've got to manage, we've got to manage such diverse people. And so the issue of control is, is uh, at the heart. If you don't understand that word, you won't understand the Chinese. Well, how about Japan? If you go to Japan, there is a core value at the very heart of the Japanese, and there are a lot of words that could go in there, but the core, what I would put as the core, is this word harmony. This is the city of Aizu Wakamatsu. And uh, I lived in the city of Aizu Wakamatsu on the left, but there on the right is the Surugajo Castle, and the Suruga is the symbol for the swan. The Japanese think bird, they think swan. First and foremost, it's a swan. And so, but the core values uh, throughout Japan, wherever you go in Japan, from Hokkaido to Hiroshima, that, uh, you'll see everywhere you go that the core value is harmony. Harmony. You don't do anything that would upset the harmony. Therefore, the group mindset is at the very heart of how they live their life. And therefore, the, the value for Japan, represented by that swan who's very peaceful on the lake, he's just, that's the image of Japan. And so you hear at seven o'clock at night, when we have million dollar commercial spaces, they'll have a TV commercial of one minute or two minutes of just nothing but 
mountain scenes and a river and a bird flying by. It's, it's the harmony, it's the peace, it's the calmness. That's their core value. All right, how about America? What's American core value? Not chaos. Chaos comes from this. It's freedom. We will fight for freedom. We will die for freedom. Every core value is at your heart, and not to have that core value, you will fight your enemies because you want the freedom. You will fight anybody. You will, you will bleed. This is America's core, core value. It, it leads us into the free speech, freedom for religion, for everything. And therefore, for us, our, even in American Baptists, our denomination goes back 200 years when we fought for the freedom for religious expression, even, even from John Adams on. So this is the distinctive for American Baptists, that every church should be independently free to decide where they go because that's who God's given them the freedom to, to worship him wherever. So... So you got this idea. There are core words, there are core values, and now we come to this passage. Let me ask this question. For the Ephesians, and for the Ephesian culture, what was at the core that Paul had to deal with? As you read through Ephesians, as we've been through it, one of the things that you see over and over again at the core of the Ephesian is pleasure, hedonism. I want to do it my way. I want to have I want to enjoy what I want to enjoy as a Mediterranean culture through through a number of number of those cultures. But the idea is you'll see this in the passage and so if I want to have sexual immorality I I I wouldn't call it immorality cuz I call it freedom to be sexual. And therefore I could go to the Ephesian temple and I can have sex as a worship because I value reproductive and fertility and pleasure. And I, I value doing what I want to do. And therefore, the Ephesian culture, whether it's eating, drinking, sex, or whatever. And that's what we talked about last week when God was talking about the lust to do what you want to do. Well, in that passage comes this one little word is greed, which we'll get to in a minute. But I want to contrast this concept of greed and why Paul says this isn't in your vocabulary this is not to be named among you there's no hint of this because this is not you because what's at the core of the kingdom value what's at the core to be a Christian and to get this, if, if Paul's doing this and the Ephesians are doing this, it's because the Holy Spirit is bringing together these core distinctives in everyone who's called by God. And therefore, if you are called by Christ, the core value that's on the heart of Christ should be your core value, and that's what we're called to imitate. It's not a moral standard. It's life in heavenly perspective. So the core value of heaven, what is the core value? Hmm. These are at the center of the heart of God. The whole law is summed up 
But you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your mind. And therefore, if you understand that this core value that Christ and how God loves Christ and Christ loves the Father and the Spirit loves the, the Son and, and the Trinity, if you believe anything about the, the biblical message at all, is you believe in the Trinitarian community of relationship, that is other-centered. Jesus was not preoccupied with his rights. The Holy Spirit wasn't inconvenienced by your need. And the cross for the joy set before him. What's that joy? You. You are his joy. Because he is so other-centered God is not a self-centered, self-absorbed, praise me kind of God. His love is always moving out towards other people. And you got to hear this at the core. This is what the Spirit of God does. He liberates us from ourself. And therefore, the gospel is the greatest message that enables us to love with a love, not that I love, it's not a Philadelphia, I love you because I love being loved by you. That's not that transactional thing. It's a love, I will love you, although, I, it's not I love you if. It's an unconditional love that moves towards you. Now that's at the core of the kingdom. And so as you understand that, that moving towards another person because I love you. I want to bless you. I'm here for you. And when I knock on your door, you say welcome. And when you come in, I'm well. I am blessed by your very presence because here comes the kingdom of God through you. And therefore, the relationships between any Christian should have this fellowship of the Spirit that really is God-centered, Christ-centered, imitating the love of God. Now, that's what I want you to get as you hear the next section. Then the core value then is there's, a, there's an other-centeredness. It's love that moves out to think about you, not about me. And that's what you understand. This is our God. He is so interested and passionate in wanting you to know how much he loves you. That's really great. It's good news, and so we can sing hallelujah for that. And, and, and because we're in the bird theme, what is our bird? the Holy Spirit hovering over us, pouring out the love of God in our hearts. And therefore, now you're ready to hear this. Why is greed an allowable sin? Well, I mentioned that every country, every culture has core values. And every country has allowable sins. Endemic Endemic means natural to that country. In, in, demic means from demos, democracy, in the population. In that culture, you will find they will let certain things slide. And in this culture, they will let certain things slide because it's endemic. In Papua New Guinea, there's a, there's a, a group of people that their core value is lying. 
to cheat and steal is a core value. If you can trick people into deception, and there's your, there's the missionary story for this cross, I will kill you. Um, where where they deceived they deceived the missionary because they or they deceived another tribe member and the missionary saw this. What what I'm saying is that these core values we don't address. We just assume. In America, we assume now and we don't talk about it, living together is okay. We assume obesity and going to the buffet line is okay. We don't address laziness. We don't address uh, uh, a dependency upon welfare systems so I don't have to work. We assume and we allow for things. We don't even speak to things. And therefore, we destroy ourselves internally because we allow things. Well, one of the things that we allow that we don't understand is the issue of greed. Because it's promoted under the guise of success, self-promotion. As long as I get my opportunity and develop my life, it's about me, it's about my role, my, my life. Is I'm, I, I'm entitled to do that, aren't I? This is my dream, isn't it? And therefore, you've got hidden in this self-preoccupation of my life underneath is a core value in many instances of greed. Recently, a pastor bought a Lamborghini for his wife. How could you? But there he is. And so you've got this tension of a core value of grace versus a core value of greed. And what Paul says to the Ephesians, what Paul says to the Ephesians, if you find greed in the body, this should not be mentioned among you. And Jesus said this. He says, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist in the things he possesses. But we, we are collectors. Some people are hoarders. Uh, and so when you start to collect and collect and collect and invest and invest, and you say, well, I'm, this is my hobby. Right? So we change the word from greed to hobby. And we justify, we allow these things to go on. I knew a guy who collected eight watches. Why would he need and wear eight watches? There's something about these internal core values. But, but just real briefly as we wrap it up in this week, you think about what greed is and what, what's the problem of greed? Why, what's wrong with greed? I mean, good night. You go to Goodwill and you get some cheap clothes and, or half-priced books and you get your books and, and you go to the tools and you start collecting your tools and your record collections. And what's wrong with collecting a little bit more or a little bit more, a little bit more? Besides your closet gets full and your garage gets stuffed. But the warning is there. This should not be at the core. And so Paul says, immorality, impurity, or greed. Now he just does it real quickly so you wouldn't get this until you stop and think, there must have been some wealth 
in Ephesus. And there's a problem with the Christians in Ephesus for Paul to address this. And so what's the problem with greed? Greed prevents good. Greed turns inward, not outward. And love is other-centered, right? There's a man named Paul Piff who's done a study about how, how when we when they actually research this topic of greed, we teach this as kids to get more and more and more, right? So what's the, what's the goal of Monopoly besides, I mean, that boardwalk? I've got to get boardwalk with the hotels on there. And so from a kid, you learn uh, you've got to get ahead. You've got to compete. Real quickly, this study showed they, they tricked, they set up the study where they gave people, uh, one person, they got triple the amount of money. And one person was, got one-third of the money. So when they had wealth come in, what happened as these kids started playing the game, those who had wealth became more independent and proud, and they began to look down upon those losing, those who had less those who were not going to gain. And they began to exploit. And they would take on gestures like, yeah, I gotcha. You're going to lose that. I'm going to get you. And what took place in the relationship <clears throat> was that there's a lot of, I deserve this. I'm entitled. You'll find greedy people, rich people, are more prone to break the law. That there's boasting, there's manipulation. I will build my barns because I'm not satisfied. I want more and more and more. And therefore, you see, you see this in the parables. The rich young ruler had less compassion. Greed prevents the good. And what did the, the prodigal son say? Give me my inheritance. And therefore, as you go through the passage, what I want to end with is this. At the core, when greed is there, love isn't. When self-centeredness is there, other-centeredness isn't. And therefore, when greed is prevalent in the church or outside of the church, in the culture, you are affected because you could be thinking about God loves me if I get more and more and more blessings. It's not getting more, it's giving more. And therefore, to imitate the Lord and imitate the love of God, this is one of the blocks that keeps the grace of God coming through. And Paul was addressing that with the Colossians, or with the Ephesians, as he will continue to do so in other areas as we get into it next week. Well, that's a long, that's a long explanation, but I think it was worth your time, thank you for being patient because now you have to stop and think, huh? Because when God puts, when God's spirit puts his finger on the greed in your life and in my life, because it is there, what do you do with that? You say, Lord, um, I confess my sin. Cleanse me from the inside out and see if there's any hurtful way in me that keeps me from loving you and loving others. For people are made to be loved. And things are made to be used. When you start loving things, 
you start using people. Well, we'll continue this next week. It's a very powerful thing. I didn't want you to miss that. Because as you see this, we go into chapter 6. This is part of the spiritual warfare. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you that you, you really know us inside out. And you brought the word to us that we see ourselves. But we need to see you seeing us in grace so that you want us to imitate your grace and not our ourselves. So Lord, take these words. May your spirit hover over them and make them fruitful to transform us into Christ-likeness. And we pray in Jesus' name, giving you all the glory and asking you for your growth in him. In Christ we pray, amen. <laughs>